Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Kitchen Gods podcast, episode 17. 17. Ken, how you doing? I'm doing great. 17 is my lucky number. Lucky, lucky. Did I ever tell you that? I think I did. I think I think you might have mentioned yeah, it. Why times. is it your Why is it your lucky number? Um, I don't have a really good reason for it. It's a It's It's a number that kind of just comes up all the time in my life, and then I got it. Hmm. I got it tattooed on my wrist because it made it. It reminds me of good things. You saw the signs. I did lots of lots of lots of weird instances where it just popped up in my life and it just was meaningful. So. No, I think I, I might have been number 17 once. I played a lot of soccer as a kid. Yeah. I was 21 a lot. Yeah. Seven, 17 was our was the the ambulance designation when I was an EMT at college as, oh. as just one of one of the 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 things and you were um, an EMT, I didn't know that. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Get out. I was an EMT. You for... and David Lee Roth. Was he? I didn't yes. know. That. See, now there's 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 something yep. I should have known. Yeah, 14 years I did that. That's so cool. Yeah, it was a long. That's a tough job, man. It was There's a tough job. I was. I did it as a volunteer. Weird stuff happening. Yeah, I did it as a volunteer most of the time, and then I was, and then it, I was. I did it for um, my college job on campus. Wow, it's a pretty cool you college have seen job. Lots of drunk kids. Lots of man. drunk kids. Ugh. I got punched by a lot of drunk kids. Yeah, jerks. Yeah, puked jerks. on the whole bit. David Lee Roth used to hang out at um, Max Fish, this bar that I loved, that I loved on the um, Lower East Side. Okay. Max Fish, which it closed down and has since reopened like a block or two away. It's not the same, but it was the weirdest bar. Anytime you went in, something weird would happen. Okay. So my husband and I used to go down there and we'd be like, let's just go in the back and play pool. And we would wait. And it was always like a David Lynch movie. Some old like octogenarian guy would walk in in a tuxedo with some <laughs> bimbo. And then they'd have their limo driver with them. And then you'd have like five professional skateboarders to the left. And David Lee Roth was at the bar. Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. I no, I, did. I missed that bar. Yeah. He was yeah. an EMT in New York city. I didn't know that. Jumping off the back of the ambulance all. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good way to calm people down. Be David Lee Roth jumping out of the back of an ambulance at any point. Oh, man. How psyched would you have been if only Bono, when he had fallen in Central Park, had been like rescued by David Lee See? Roth? That would have been so epic. I know. I know. No. Well, I did. I never, I never, I never, you know, pulled an awesome David Lee Roth jump out of the back of, out of the back of the rig. But no. Were you ever in the ambulance for your own personal? I mean, not, not as an EMT uh, knock on wood. Uh, no, I was never, I was never transported, um, because of, because of injury or illness. Thank goodness. I broke my, um, and you, you, I broke my arm rather spectacularly up at Jiminy peak snowboarding. I'm not oh. a strong snowboarder. Mm. Was that the and last was, time you went? No, I've been since, Okay, but it was really, really bad. I, I was there with my boyfriend, Jim. And we came off the ski lift and it was going to be the last run of the day. Of course. And these little jerk skiers had sat down like 10 feet away from the ski lift. So I had to go around them. And when you just get off the ski lift with a a snowboard, your back foot's not clamped in. Okay. And so I go around them and I immediately go down this incredibly steep embankment. And as soon as the sun had gone down, I started to go down, everything had turned to ice. So I, I, you know, twist to cut an edge to break myself. And both of my arms went behind me and they both spun out really, really fast. And it sounded like celery, like a bunch of celery. No, it was so bad. And I'm laying there and I'm like, I broke my arm. And Jim's like, what? Cause he'd fallen too. (laughs) He's like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, my arm's broke. So they put me on the sled and I've got a snow 
snowmobile in front, a snowmobile in back. Wow. And we get to the bottom and my friends, Rachel and John are, are down there and Rachel sees my snowboard and no Michelle on it. So she's just like, oh. and I, and by <laughs> like, the time I got like to the no bottom, ship rolling in. <laughs> oh, oh my God, it was terrible. And the whole way down the tarp, they like covered me with a tarp and it's slapping me in the face <laughs> and it's starting to like sleet and snow on me. And I'm just, oh, no. they, they strapped my arm to my body. I'm like, this is really, really bad. And we get down there and by then I'm in shock. And while I'm laying on my back before they take me inside, they had me sign a waiver. Of course. Yeah. And not our fault. Not our yeah, fault. Right. So then I get in the ambulance and Rachel, my friend, is in the front and we're in the back and the, and the EMT guys were David just Roth. like 80s movies, what? hot guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I'm like, this is a really bad movie. What's happening? And the guys, they, none of them think I broke my arm. They're like, you're, you're fine. It's probably just a sprain. Maybe you hurt your rotator cuff. You know, yeah. Relax. Yeah, yeah. You'll be okay. And then they said, you know, we need to cut your coat. So they cut the sleeve of my coat off and all of a sudden I hear this crazy loud noise and I'm like, did you guys turn the sirens on? What was going on? They're like, no, you're, you're, you're screaming. You're, you're screaming like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, then we go in man. and they do the x-rays and all the EMT guys had waited around to see what the x-rays said. And okay. they all came in and they said, we're so sorry. You are so messed up. Wow. This is going to be really bad. And yeah, I had to get, I have a like nine inch plate in oh my, my arm. Goodness. How old were and, you? I don't know. Early twenties. Okay. Massive screws. And I thought I would have like little pins and it would be like the surgical. No, you look like scar. the hard, you look like the hardware aisle. No, wow. Yeah. Scarred for life. But the EMT guys hung around and I really appreciated That's... them coming in and saying, you really did truly screw yourself up bad. Wow. We're sorry. We're sorry. We doubted you. Yeah. No anyway. kidding. We'll probably edit all that out because that's just rambling. But. No, but that's <laughs> these are these are the these are what form our our, our experience. Our I never would have become a chef. Life. I can yeah. tell, right? Because you had to learn how to do stuff with your other arm. Yeah, just cook. It was it's it was like... tricky. I was um, at the time <laughs> I was a retoucher for modeling agencies. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I would go around and scan models' pictures and then retouch it all in Photoshop. Wow. Make them thinner or thicker or hairless, whatever. It was not a, it was, that's a, that's, that's a skill, job. but still that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a still a, a called upon skill. You were, you fun. were, you were filters before there were filters. <laughs> Instagram, just, Instagram just does that for you. <laughs> yeah. But even, even back then I'd say I was starting to cook. So do you have any kind of like signature dish? Is there something that you mm always do like my dad would do pancakes that was that was yeah so I have, I have a couple and, and one was actually i have a question for you about about one mm -hmm. of them we make scratch waffles um mm -hmm. every other week every other weekend for for breakfast but with the waffle recipe how do you avoid the flour clumps when you put the wet ingredients into the flour mixture without over stirring it and getting all that gluten going when you add the flour sift it so, okay. So the way I've been, the way I usually do it is we scoop, we don't sift it, but we scoop the flour into the measuring cup mm -hmm. and put that in the bowl first and yeah. then, then mix in the, it's got it's baking got powder, baking and, powder salt and salt. Whatever, yeah. yeah. And then, and then we put the wet ingredients into that. Should that ah. not be, the, should it be the other way around? So, and your wet ingredients are, it's egg whites or eggs egg, and it's, it's, milk or. Yep. It is, uh, it's milk, milk, oil, and yolks and two egg yolks. So what I would do is take the wets and mix them first with a whisk. 
So mm-hmm. break up all your eggs, do, do um, that, right? let it get a little bit frothy. And then I would start to, in like two or three additions, sift the dry ingredients on top of it and then fold it in. So instead of whisking that all together, Got I would it. just fold it and in. Then we, and once it's like incorporated, then you add the next edition, like it. 80% incorporated. So we, so we fold in, we fold in the, we do add two, the, the two egg whites from the two yolks. They get, mm-hmm. they get beaten into, into. A meringue. A, yeah. And then, and we put that, we fold that in and that makes, mm-hmm. that makes them fluffy. Try not to overstir. And they usually come out pretty good. But yeah, they, I bet but, they come out great. But yeah, yeah, but they I could, see they could be little flower bombs. They got little flower bombs, and then they could be a little less dense if I want to avoid the flower bombs. That, that's the that's the whole thing. But I'll yeah. si- I'll sift it into the thing. That's a good idea. That should that should work. I'm Let going, me know. I, I will. I will. You, next, have tell, you have to tell us next podcast. I will. Yeah. I absolutely will. Now I want to cook them again. So anyway, signature dish. That's my signature dish. That's your signature dish. Yeah. Excellent. Mine uh, was a bolognese sauce. Okay. I could make I could make a bolognese before I learned how to cook. And it's funny because when I met my husband, I didn't know how to cook yet. Bolognese is, is just it's just, it's a it's red sauce with meat basically. A beef, yeah. It, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I did a, a beef bolognese and it was good. Um, but what made me, what made me think of this is our kitchen god for the week had a salad dressing. That was his signature dish. Oh, I know him. He was he he ruled a large section of the world for a long time. Caesar? Yeah. What? No. <laughs> no. 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 Only, but maybe this, I'll, have to, I'll have to look it up. Right he could have it. Oh, there's another one. And as soon as as oh, soon as you right. put it together, you're gonna Russian. think about it. No. Yakov Smirnoff and his Russian <laughs> dressing was all the rage. No, so this guy had a had a, a salad dressing and it okay. was very, very popular. He was not a chef, but okay. he was very much a home cook. He had kids and a wife that he would often cook for. Okay. He was very wealthy, but would make a lot of his own food. He and a friend would go fishing all the time mm-hmm. and they would just sit out on this boat drinking Budweiser's. And he's like, let's have a, we should open a restaurant. Let's open a restaurant. And like a lot of us, they daydreamed about opening a restaurant. Mm-hmm. They even went as far as like going around town and looking at vacant or closed down restaurants and thinking mm-hmm. about opening it. Um, but really what his signature dish was, was this amazing salad dressing. Okay. And his name was Paul Newman. Okay. I was going to, when you started doing this and you're throwing me off with the wife and kids and cooking and cool. Newman's all okay. Newman. Newman's. And to say that he was proud of his salad dressing is a total understatement. In 1980, he and his buddy Hotch, A.E. Hotchner, mm-hmm. came over. Um, he came over on Christmas Eve and they spent hours. He had his big barn in their backyard, in mm-hmm. Paul's backyard. And in the basement, there was like a wood floor and old horse stalls and an old empty wash tub. And they filled up this wash tub. <laughs> And made a massive batch of the salad dressing. Okay. And they were filling up all these old vintage bottles, uh, vintage wine bottles, and okay. then corking them. So it was not the most sanitary of conditions. Sure. And, you know, well, in the 80s, nothing was sanitary in the 80s. Nothing was sanitary. No, in David the 80s. Lee Roth was an EMT. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they were going to go caroling that night, which I think is hysterical to think of Paul Newman showing up at your house. Yeah. Like, a caroling. Yeah. So he and Hotch put together these bottles. And they think that it's going to be safe because it's vinegar, red wine vinegar, and you know olive oil. It's like what what could possibly go wrong? Right. It's a huge hit. Everybody loves this salad dressing. Whenever Paul would go out of town to shoot a movie, his kids would be like, "Make a couple bottles for us to have while you're gone." Oh, okay. 
because he had made it in a tub, they ended up with all this leftover salad dressing. Okay. And Paul Newman's like, hey, what if we sell this? We could take <laughs> this to any of these little like Dean and DeLuca boutiques in Connecticut. They lived in Connecticut and sell this and make some money. Right. And Hotch, Hotch is like, no, <laughs> he had gone to law school. He's like, we will get sued. <laughs> we will end up die. in jail. Yeah. Someone's going to die. Exactly. But it had kind of sowed these seeds interest, yeah. of we should do this. All right. So who were these guys? It's it's Aaron Edward Hotchner, A. Hotchner. We'll mm -hmm. call him Hotch from now on because sure. that's what they called each other. He was a writer and a novelist, a playwright and a biographer. He mm -hmm. was born in 1917 and he lived until 2020. He lived until he was 102 years what? old. What? Yes. He only died in like February, Oof. right before all this COVID nonsense started. Wow. Incredibly accomplished as a writer. Really neat guy. He grew up in St. Louis. Okay. He was the son of a synagogue administrator and a jeweler. Mm -hmm. uh, he went to Washington University in St. Louis, um, where he became a lawyer. And he enlisted after Pearl Harbor and served as a journalist with the Army Air Corps. Okay. And after the war ended, he decided that law wasn't really for him, but he loved writing. So he would become a writer. And he became very close friends with Hemingway and wrote Hemingway's biography, which is called Papa Hemingway. Hmm. That was in 1966. He adapted Hemingway's The Snows of Kilimanjaro, The Killers, The Fifth Column, and After the Storm, all for TV. Uh, he was also a very well-respected playwright on Broadway and off-Broadway and moved to Westport, Connecticut. And there, his neighbor was Paul Newman. Interesting. And yes. Paul Newman was already quite famous at that point. Right. Yes. Um, Paul Leonard Newman was born in 1925. He was an actor. <laughs> yes, I've heard of him. And a race car driver. <laughs> yes, a director and a race car driver and a very zealous home cook. It's very cool that race car driving would really come to serve him later on with the connections that he would make mm. and people that would support his team. He was born in Shaker Heights, Ohio, where his, his dad ran a sporting goods store. Okay. And his mom was a Christian scientist and his father was Jewish, but Newman didn't practice any religion of, of any kind, really. But if you asked him, he'd say he was Jewish because it was more of a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, he started acting at age seven. He was the court jester in a school production of Robin Hood and he continued to act. But, you know, how do you top that court right. jester? At no, seven? that's, I'm it, sure that's it was... you just hang it up right there. Yeah. He's just, yeah. Uh, he was in the Navy during World War II. Mm -hmm. He was in a pilot training program uh, for a little while until they realized he is colorblind. Huh. They won't let you do that for a very obvious reason. Mm -hmm. So he became a radio man and a rear gunman and okay. was stationed in Hawaii. He was actually assigned to the aircraft carrier called Bunker Hill, but he and his crew were grounded because the pilot had an earache. Hmm. And a few days later, Bunker Hill was the recipient of a kamikaze attack. Mm. So a lot of the people in his unit died, but he was safe because his pilot had had that earache. What and it coincidence. Kind of yeah. makes, you, makes you wonder if he would have made it out of there. Mm. After the war, he went to Kenyon College in Ohio and got his degree and started to perform full time. Okay. This really isn't a podcast about his filmography because I think we all really know that. Yeah, no, Pretty we're well. going to talk about his race car driving, though, because that's. Yeah, I was about to say, or his race car driving. <laughs> yeah. oh. Sorry. Well, we're going to mainly talk about his food. Okay, cool. So let's face it starting a product line with a famous face gives you a head start, a but it bit. is zero guarantee for success. If it's not amazing, the novelty will wear off. People yeah. might buy it once and then never again. Right. I mean, Diane von Furstenberg 
had her own line of tissues. Hmm. Billy beer. Phyllis, Billy beer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Phyllis Diller had Philly Dilly Chili. Really? Yes. That was a, but that's a gimmick. That was a marketing gimmick. That wasn't. I mean, the marketing gimmick is that she put her name on it. And I don't yeah. know if she actually came up with it herself See, or I, if and, she licensed and, it. And, and I, 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 I was never sure if the, if Newman's own wasn't something like that. Cause exactly. You know. Yeah. And, and at the beginning when they were thinking about it, people were like, yeah, I'll buy your name. I'll license it, but it's my company and right. I'll, you get a percentage based on sure. your name is on the label. Richard Simmons had his own spray on salad dressing. I kind of remember that. Went nowhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the success rate is just abysmal. It's like, you know, opening a restaurant, man, you really got to. It's got to be a home oof, run. It's tough. Um, big corporations will spend about a million dollars to launch a new product. Mm -hmm. So your crafts, Heinz, any of these, any of these people will spend a million dollars on uh, doing a year of focus group testing, hmm. uh, naming, packaging design. Yeah. It's just, it right. goes it's on and on and on. And Paul and Hotch wanted nothing to do with any of that. Sure, it sounds like a nightmare. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, well, and they, they did. They went, they went as far as to meet with some of these firms. They're very excited yeah, about sure. Paul Newman. And they're like, we can totally make this work for you. And this is all that we're going to do. And we set this giant plan. Right. Yada, yada, yada. It's going to cost you uh, like $1.4 million. Yeah. It's, it's going to cost you a lot. And until Newman and Hotch, there had never really been a celebrity product that had really succeeded. Okay. Uh, going with the big advertising companies, uh, they decided to do it all. They decided to do all the heavy lifting themselves. Sure. And they would each, after they left this meeting with the advertising firm, they're in the car and they're, they're really quiet and they're like trying to figure out what to do. And they agree that they'll both pony up 20 grand. Fair. It's like, this is how much we're willing to lose. Mm -hmm. And although Hotch is like, I, I have 12 grand, I'm paying rent, and I got the 12 <laughs> grand from a, a horse race, none of which was true. He owned his house. He was like, <laughs> totally fine. But he's like, ah, I'll give you 12. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they end up with basically $40,000 okay. of seed money. Sure. And this is, and once that's gone, it's done. Okay. We're, we're not going to beat this, this dead horse. You know, this wasn't really their, their first food venture. They'd already, already kind of, have done some groundwork looking at restaurants and everything, but the dressing was different because they really had a passion about bringing something to the market that wasn't loaded with preservatives, mm -hmm. coloring, and chemical. And so what was what was the original dressing like? What's the what's it most like? It's it's mo it's red wine vinegar, olive oil. It has onion and garlic and mustard. Okay. So it's pretty basic. It's like so. It's a it's, a, it's it's okay. So it's a it's a vinaigrette, but it's not necessary. It's not like an Italian dressing. It's not. It's a it's a, it's right. a, it's an original taste. Right. Okay. That's the yes. and that I didn't know until until tonight. I just I just assumed he had a line of of dressings that would, emulated he, other recipes. He would go on to do that later. Yes. I mean, he came yeah. out with the Caesar dressing and everything. But yeah, this this first one was was different than what was on the market. Um, it was really delicious. But what was so different about it was it didn't have any artificial gums. Mm -hmm. It didn't have any preservatives in it. But could that actually work? Would that be shelf-stable? Right. First thing they have to do is is find somebody who can bottle it for them. So when you come up with an idea like this, if you're not if you're going to make more than 15 bottles a day, you have to find a distributor. Right. So if I, let's say I was making cookies, mm -hmm. there are a number of companies, give them my very specific recipe, mm -hmm. and then they would produce it with my name on it. A co-packer. 
and make it out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A packer. So they met, they approached Bigelow Tees, who turned them down. Okay. Hotch drove to Bushwick at one point in a very fancy car. Hmm. And there's a minute, a mayonnaise bottler there mm-hmm. and he's going to meet with them. Cause it seems like this might, good you know, fit. they could do, yep. yeah, it would be a good fit. Uh, he gives a kid outside a couple bucks to watch his car okay. because this is not a place you should be parking. He goes in and it's a bunch of like good fellas oh, guys okay. yeah. wearing their ties. They're all smoking cigars and they're like, uh, yeah, we're going to do this for you. But it's going to be 50, 50. You have to use our olive oil and we're Newman's name is not on it. We're going to call it Umbria or something. Right. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it. So we're done. And Hotch is like, I got to talk to my partner and like, call him. It's like, no, I can't, I can't call him. Why can't you call him? Well, he's, he's dying and I have to go. And he like runs out of the building, gets in his car and just like, it's like, oh my God, really scary men. So the search continues and it goes on for a while uh, until they meet this guy, Andy Crowley. And he's a small bottler outside of Boston uh, he was already doing salad dressing. Oh, good. Uh, it was called Ken's salad dressing. Oh, I know uh, that too. Yeah. He wanted to try out their formulation first to see if, if it was any good. Uh, Paul writes out the recipe on a, uh, like a back of a brown paper bag. Mm-hmm. And that's how, how he gets it. Uh-huh. So everything on the market then was crappy oil. So soy or canola, rapeseed oil. It would be like white vinegar, dehydrated onions and garlic, and loads of preservatives. Mm. It has to be shelf stable for at least a year or the grocery stores won't even talk to you. Okay. Would theirs be? They had no idea. They'd never held on to it for a sure. year. Gums are usually what they'll use to emulsify it to make these dressings kind of thick mm-hmm. off the off the shelf. Newman and Hotch absolutely refuse to use any of these fake emulsifiers, basically. Okay. Any of these gums, any of this, you know, dehydrated crap, they're they're absolutely not. They want to use good oil. Right. Motor oil because he's got it all for for the race cars. 50 weight. There you go. Um, (laughs) So Andy thought that, you know, there's no way this is going to work. It's going to separate. If you've ever made homemade salad dressing, oil and vinegar, Mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, yeah, oil and vinegar are not friends. Right. The secret to Newman's dressing was that it contained mustard and mustard is a natural emulsifier. Okay. So an emulsifier, uh, emulsifier molecules have a hydrophilic end and a which is water loving mm-hmm. and a hydrophobic end, which is water hating. Okay. Think of it like this lozenge shaped thing that's mm-hmm. holding on to two pieces at the same time. Okay. So it keeps the oil and the vinegar from separating. Interesting. It worked. It made a salad dressing super stable. Andy was still nervous though, that there was no ethylene diamine tetraacetic acid. I would be too. EDTA is what I mean, we'll call okay. it. But I want to say it again. Ethylene diamine tetraacetic acid. It's a lot. It's a hard word to it, say. It is. Good job. It binds the iron and copper in water. So in that, we have minerals in the water naturally. And if those sit on a shelf for a year, they will turn everything rancid or mm. cause it to start to separate. Everybody used EDTA. Paul and Hotch are just as adamant. And they're like, no, it's all natural or we're not doing this. We're just, we're going to walk away. They're willing to totally walk away. Yeah, they only put 40 grand into it so far. It's okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. They're like, well, yeah, <laughs> this is not, this is, we, we have careers on our own. Yeah. We don't have to be doing this. Exactly. But you know, if we can line our pockets a little bit, if sure. we can make some money, then let's go for it. And it would be fun. Andy has his chemists relent and they put the dressing through the longevity test. And what's really cool is that when you crush mustard, mm-hmm. it releases 
a very natural ethylene diamine tetraacetic uh, acid that will work as a natural gum. Huh. So magically- They just stumbled upon this because they thought it would taste good. Dumb luck. Right. Totally dumb luck. Right. And even they were like, we can't believe this is working. Sure. But it's delicious. It's totally shelf stable. Wow. It's like safe. It's safe for people to eat. But the problem was they had driven Andy crazy. Hmm. So the bottler, <laughs> because they were so unmoving about anything that he's like, you know what? I don't really want to work. Yeah. I don't want to work with you guys. You're a pain in the butt. And, you know, you're a movie star and you're a writer and you're both nuts. Yeah. Go and away. This is, this is stupid. So I'm going to walk away. Wow. And he does. He walks away and they are back to square one oh. trying to find a bottler again. But they're, they're down, but they're not out. It's kind of funny. So they're in Connecticut and they're like, let's, you know, we need, we need some, some reinforcement. People really do like this. So they had a big taste test. Instead of hiring a focus group, they went over to their friend's house. She was a caterer. Her name was um, Martha Stewart. Ah, and friend, yeah, they go, sure. <laughs> our good friend, Martha. And they go to her house and they have 20 other friends come over and they set up a ton of different salad dressings and a hmm. ton of, of bowls of lettuce. Okay. And everybody has water and, and you can dip. go around you dip and on everybody but two they were number one hmm. and on the the people that didn't mark the number one they marked them number two interesting so resounding vote Success. of confidence yeah huge. and martha's martha's only note was i think you should have a bay leaf in each one but these things are made so fast you'll make like you know 100 yeah. bottles a minute sure and yeah, stuff no, bay leaf into one sorry it's not happening but it probably would have been yummy yeah so have you ever been to Stu leonard's no no, oh, Tell it's me. amazing. What is it? It's it's a grocery store. Okay. There's one up in Yonkers. Okay, it's like a, it's a field trip. It, a really funny place you go to. They have tons of house branded items. Okay, it is a chain. They're pretty big, and it was kind of um, groundbreaking because they'll put the tomatoes next to basil, next to mozzarella. Got it. So that was like they were yeah, the, the yeah, fathers the, the, of that of of, of uh, uh, merchandising. Yes, really, really good at merchandising. So Stu Leonard was a friend, a, a friend of a racing friend. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you got to meet my buddy Stu, you know, ask Stu's opinion about it. And Paul's like, okay, because he can't stop talking about this. Sure. Yeah, you got to get this bottled. Let me tell you about my salad dressing. Stu's like, well, you, you got to put your face on it. And Paul's like, absolutely not. <laughs> that is the tackiest thing yeah. in the world. That would be disgusting. What kind of tacky... Yeah unbelievable he's like no i'm not putting my face on it and Stu's like you are and i'm gonna do a taste test if i'd like it you know i'm gonna call my buddy andy and he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> bottle it for you <laughs> and and paul's like no 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 no, yeah. no we already yeah. tried andy andy, andy doesn't like us <laughs> andy andy wants nothing to do with us and Stu's like listen i carry i'm like 95 percent of his clientele mm. if if i want him to make your salad dressing he will be making your salad dressing and that's absolutely what happened wow so, so poor they call andy. poor andy's like okay i'll Fine, do it Stu. being pushed into success like two that. jerks <laughs> yeah. jerks oh a writer and a movie star um so he's still he's like this is this is this is tacky it's shameless exploitation i can't do it unless it's for the common good mm -hmm. so if i'm gonna do this if we're gonna make it like that then we're donating all the profits charity 100 okay. i'm not going to make any money off of this wow it's like this is really gross but if i can if i can 
sell some and make some money for the common good, then that's what I'll do. Okay. And Hotch is like, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what we're going to do. So Stu Leonard orders 2000 bottles, pressures poor Andy into poor making Andy. them all. Yep. The design is done with a lovely little, you know, his Newman's own graphic, on, yep. his little face on there. He decides to make it silly. So there's this whole like Appalachian Newman Controli and, you know, fine foods since February. <laughs> <laughs> the labels are hilarious. Stu Leonard's promotes it by saying, you know, like Paul Newman, introducing Paul Newman on whatever date it was. And right. the store's packed. Everybody thinks that Paul Newman's going to be there, but it's just a salad dressing. <laughs> That's next awesome. To these. It was great. And it sold out like instantly. 10,000 bottles in two weeks. Wow. Suddenly... The AMP is calling. Grand Union markets are calling. They all want to keep, they all want to stock this sure. salad dressing. And for a grocery store to be calling you is- No, yeah, unheard of. It doesn't happen. Right. It's, and it was funny because they had no staff. It was just the two of them and then this packaging plant. Huh. They didn't have an office. What you did know, they need an office for? Just, there's just... no bookkeeper. All, the, all these orders are coming in. They don't yeah, have a fax yeah. machine. Send it to Andy. They don't have a Andy bookkeeper. <laughs> Andy's like, you guys need, a, you need an office. <laughs> So they rent this little, actually, they were borrowing the bookkeeper from his lawyer. Okay. She, and she was like, enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they rent this little two-room office across the hall from their lawyer. It's September. So Paul Newman's shutting down his pool for the summer. Uh-huh. So he takes all of the pool furniture and moves it into the office. <laughs> you know, so their their desk is a picnic table awesome. complete with umbrella. And they have a ping pong table. <laughs> and it's it's just all pool furniture. Awesome. That's it. Well, they're, they're, not they they're not spending. They're, they're at, no. they're at $38,000. They're not going to go buy office furniture. They didn't spend a dime. They're so cheap. But it sounds lovely. Yeah, I'd love to go course. to work every day on a picnic table. Yeah. So yeah, they had spent $20,000 of that initial $40,000. Okay. And they made it back within six weeks of wow. operating. So they're already starting to make money. Amazing. It's crazy. And, but they're it's donating not, it. They're giving it to charity. They, they're going to give it all to charity. So in December of every year, they flush out all of their funds except for that initial seed money. Okay. And that's, it's gone every okay. year. And so it's 1982. Okay. And they held this press event at Hanratty's, which was a dive on 90th and 2nd. Oh, okay. Uh, they invited supermarket buyers and the press, like Gene Shalit was there, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, movie people. And they make up this jingle that Hotch writes to all this like um, old Broadway musicals. Have fun. They get Paul Newman to stand up there and and sing these songs. And he's a terrible singer. Sure. And they get Joanne, his wife, Joanne Woodward, to sing a song also. And it's a hoot. Everybody is just having fun. And his about it. It's a huge success. Salad dressing orders are coming in like crazy. Pretty soon they have to expand beyond just the two of them because they also have other jobs yep. that they're still doing. And they expanded it to seven people and it was only seven people for 15 years. Wow. And they managed that whole giant operation. And as we know, it wasn't just salad dressing. Praise starts to come in from anywhere. They started to get fan mail for the salad dressing. <laughs> so funny. It's like, this is just not something that has to happen. Poor yeah. Andy. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Andy's like, he can't keep up. He started out making 60 bottles a minute. Hmm. Within a year or two, he's making more than 400 bottles a minute. A minute. A minute. Man. Yeah. There's no putting bay leaves in this. Sorry, Martha. Nope. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So they still have their own regular jobs. Paul comes home from work late one night and he's starving. All that's left to eat is some jarred pasta sauce and spaghetti. So he makes a spaghetti, pours on the jarred sauce, and it's awful. 
and then their next product is born. It was even harder than the salad <laughs> dressing, but he's going to make tomato sauce. Wow. <laughs> Nobody had hunks of vegetables or mushrooms or tomatoes in their sauces. Everything was pureed. Okay. All of the machines in all of the factories across the world were made to puree the sauce. And but, strain it and get it to yeah. consistency. Yep. But he demanded that they have hunks of tomatoes and veggies in there. And their sauce bottler had to take a huge chance on the success based on the success of their salad dressing. Andy's brother. And, yeah, right. Andy's brother. <laughs> <laughs> and they had to reinvent how sauce was cooked and bottled in his facility. They have another press event in Manhattan <laughs> and it goes just like the salad dressing did. They had more silly songs and the press ate it up. And then they have another one in LA. Henry Mancini came to play the <laughs> piano while they sing their funny songs. And it's, it, they call the entertainer the from the sting. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Well, he's always dressing up as Butch Cassidy. Okay, there you go. So they're singing their funny strong songs. And the name of the sauce is industrial strength tomato sauce. All of the marketers were like, it sounds like a cleaning product. Yeah. You can't call it that. And he's like, nah, that's what it's called. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, I mean, later on, it be, there's another sauce called Sakaruni. The line of products just continues to expand and expand and expand. That's when they start to learn about grocery store slotting. So slotting is this dirty business and Barnes and Noble and like booksellers do it as well. Mm -hmm. You you pay to play basically. Yep. So I'm going to give you 20 grand for this new product to each individual store sure. so that you will, when, when you go to the grocery store and you've got your cart and you run into something, you know, there's like this display in the middle and you're like, why is that in the middle of the stupid aisle? They paid a lot of money to oh, put yeah. that there. Yep. Incredible amounts of money. And that's how grocery stores make a ton. That's how yeah. they make their, their numbers because yep. they're not making it on the food. You would believe margins, how yeah. low the margins are. It's terrible but they're not going to do it. And they don't have to because they're getting all of this amazing press mm -hmm. and because grocery stores are selling out of it. So they're going to continue to stock it. Yep. But it's you know, for any, anybody out there who's thinking I'm going to follow this, <laughs> this yeah. plan. It's really hard. It and does help to have your face on it and be Paul Newman at the, you know, let's, let's be honest. There's some, yes, we should all be as pretty as Paul Newman. Yeah, and it helps a lot. Yeah. They were able to avoid, the slotting mm. of products. Yeah, their first six months sales were five hundred and two thousand dollars. Of the tomato sauce, or of the of the first six months of the salad dressing, okay. and then the tomato sauce. Wow. Yeah, um, they made a profit of sixty five thousand dollars, all of which went to charities. Huh. And their their first year total, they made over three hundred ninety seven thousand dollars in profits. Wow, wow, over three million dollars in sales in their first year. <sighs> Joanne had to buy a new pool furniture because these guys weren't coming <laughs> home anytime soon. So I, hopefully uh, she took some of that money before it went to charity to be able to buy it because otherwise <laughs> she wouldn't be able to afford it. Just off yes. to Kmart. Poor Joanne. So by 1984, sales had quadrupled. Wow. They had given away over two million dollars. What's charity. is it? What's it? Does it? Does they disperse it? Or do they have a mean charity? They disperse it. So okay. no. Well, back then they had they would disperse it, and you could write to them. There was a, a like a nun in Florida who wrote saying, "I've reached out to everybody. I do this school for immigrant farmers' children, so these kids can't go to a regular school because they're moving to where the crops are, where the harvests are happening. So mm -hmm. their parents would move to California for a few months, and then." you know, down to Georgia or wherever. And they would be in Florida for the citrus growing. And that's when they would, she would want them to go to school. 
but her bus had broken down. Mm. So she wrote to them saying, I reached out to everybody. These kids won't go to school. They just won't be going to school without the bus. And, you know, instantly they're like, yeah, here's your bus. Sure. And then 13 years later, she writes to them again and says, so we need another bus. And you're like, yep, here's your bus. Wow. And just, you know, really responsive to lots of, be- you know, amazing causes. That's and cool. they couldn't give it away fast enough. In 93, so like 10 years later, and I'll go I'll pop around in time a little bit. Um, Paul's daughter, Nell, proposes an organic line mm. of Newman Foods. It was mostly organic, though, wasn't it? Or was it just not no, organic? Well, like no, it, right. Yeah. Like the original, it. it may not have been organic, but it was fresh. Sure. So they would write fresh on there, but not not organic. Got so it. organic means it hasn't been sprayed with any kind of pesticides. Paul agrees to finance her organic line of foods. And that's where we get all of the pretzels that came first, hmm. uh, which we buy every week. Um, they became a really dominant player very quickly in the organic market, doing chocolate bars, cookies, you know, the Fig Newmans. Fig Newtons. I've never Fig tried Newtons. them. Are they good? I don't like Fig Newtons, but uh, from what I understand, they're good. Okay. I, I like the Numinos. Okay. Those are good. Like the ends, yeah. So the Oreos. Huge sales. And again, all of the profits from that as well are all going to charity. Interesting. And Paul was involved in every project. So even when he's working on a movie, he's getting samples sent to him and he'll have all the cast of whatever he's working on come into his trailer and they all, you know, blind taste tests. And he's he's super into it. And he's wow. he's a total this wasn't a hobby at this point no yeah yeah. and yeah it's a total passion project popcorn he's a huge popcorn Mm -hmm. fan and wyandotte company of canton ohio develops a hybrid kernel just for him Hmm. because it had to be perfect and i mean he sent back multiple versions until they end up on this perfect melt in your mouth popcorn Hmm. joanne his wife Mm -hmm. has a secret recipe for lemonade oh they they have um that's when the Paul Newman's lemonade comes out and it's really, really good. And she calls it virgin lemonade because the lemons have only been squeezed once. <laughs> and, and Paul goes as far as to say it can actually restore virginity. That's so funny. And there was this whole poster with Whoopi Goldberg and she's like, oh, my virginity's being restored. I can feel it. It's so good. This is amazing. Um, it, it, it's funny because even though they did like posters like that, occasionally they never advertised there were never commercials wouldn't wouldn't need to yeah yeah he didn't have to and he felt like it was tacky and it's expensive Mm -hmm. why why would you need to advertise anyway when everybody's talking about your products um consumer reports too you know they're not going to say it's really good Mm -hmm. unless it's really good they're not making any money off of it and he was consistently at the top of, of any category he was in they were at the top of it got it and Paul and Hotch both gave back in big ways to their schools, so mm. Washington University, and they concentrated on organizations out of the mainstreams as well as the the main majors. So they were looking for, you know, underserved. Paul Newman said to Jonas Salk, which I think is incredible. Yeah, Jonas just call Salk, him up. Yeah, Jonas Salk was um, alive from 1914 to 1995. I didn't realize Jonas Salk was alive that long. Yeah, I I don't think I realized he was that contemporary. Yeah, me us. either. Uh, but Paul told him, I never thought I'd get into science, but being able to turn salad dressing into a school bus, that's the kind of chemistry that that tickles the fancy. <laughs> and that's what he saw this as. He's like, yeah. I'm just turning this into beautiful things that are happening that's out amazing. in the world. After four years of totally unequaled giving, they wanted to start their own kind of charitable organization. Okay. So something of their own. And they called it the hole in the wall gang. 
That's what Butch Cassidy called his mm. hideout. What they were building was going to be like a little old West town that was a camp for terminally ill kids. Okay. You couldn't just take a camp and kind of retrofit it for sick kids. Right. They, it was something that they, they built from the ground up. And they got Dr. Pearson, who had been the chairman of the pediatrics um, department at Yale, to help them find a place appropriate for sick kids near Ashford, Connecticut. And, you know, they, they, they had lots of hits and misses as well. They found some spots, then they would find out that there would be a camp across the water. And they didn't want these kids to have to look at, you know, robust children canoeing sure. out there while they're, you know, trying to make the best of their own situation. Um, so it was about giving them a normalizing experience mm -hmm. in this horrible, stressful time of their lives. And these were such little kids. They would have doctors on staff and the place would be completely made for them. So it wasn't made to give you treatments, but if you needed chemotherapy or some other kind of treatment while you were there, they would have state-of-the-art facility available. Mm -hmm. They would have doctors on staff, uh, but mainly it was, it was a place that, you know, that kid who's been on dialysis for the last six months, you know what, we're going to get you up on a horse. I might have to carry you and hold you while you're up there, but you're going to have this experience. Right. You know, you get to go fishing, you get to do, do anything. Awesome. And this, this, it's so beyond, yeah. I mean, oh my God, reading these stories. I just, you know, oh, but like crying. crying all day. Yeah. It's, it's inc incredible. And Paul was adamant that we get this done within like a year. Huh. So he wanted to build it and like, get it done. Yeah. This is Connecticut. Yeah. The winters are not great. Yeah. He hires these builders and normally, and I mean, you know, this from architecture, you're not going to design a building and get it built within a year. No. If you're just starting to build it, you no, know, starting to design it now. Anything that's slightly commercial. <laughs> and getting permits yeah. beyond just all of that. No, he got it done in like a year and a half wow. and they get all of their bids and permissions. Um, uh, it all happens really, really quickly, but they can't build it because there's no one who can work in the cold like mm. they can. And if you're working with green wood in the cold, it's going to shrink yep. a lot. And that's really hard to work with. So what they did is went to Canada, found builders who were, you know, construction guys who were used to dealing with these conditions, conditions and yeah. brought them down. And these guys were just like banging it out. And it, it looked just amazing. Just call me down here. Right. <laughs> Actually, so Paul had just done, had just finished the color of money Okay. and he came down and hung out with all the construction crew and they went to a bar at the edge of town and he's like playing them at pool and <laughs> losing yeah. somehow to all these kids. And in the spring, there's this massive outpouring of generosity. So there's a, a local construction guy who donates all the wells, 250 mattresses are donated by a mattress supplier. Wow. August Bush gives them a million bucks to... Uh, the Anheuser-Busch mm -hmm. were his racing team. Okay, right. Supporters. So August shows up and hands him a check for a million bucks. And this is going to take care of your dining hall. Wow. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers show up. They dredge the entire lake, um, set up the beach, and all of the swimming pool manufacturers in the area who are fierce competitors, they all show up. They come together and they put in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. IRS regulations require that Newman's own only give 40 or I'm sorry, only give 50% of the cost of building all of this. So they couldn't do hundred percent, even if they had right. on, on their own. So they needed all of this money, um, but they were still short. And this guy, Khalid Alagan from Saudi Arabia had heard about it. And he had a very rare blood disorder hmm. uh, growing up and was, was 
constantly having to get transfusions. And he came and met Paul at the camp, took a, a tour of the camp and thought, you know, this is, I would love to have had this as a child to have felt normal just for a minute, mm. you know, to have other kids to commiserate with, like this would have been right. amazing. So he tells Paul, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see what I can do for you. And Paul's like, yeah, all right. All right. Whatever kid. Cause he's like, you know, a young man, he yeah. doesn't know him. This kid whose father is a diplomat goes on to petition the king of Saudi Arabia for help who comes through with a $5 million check. <laughs> totally funded. Amazing. The first kids arrive in 1988. And luckily it was incredible. Oof. They even had, um, so a lot of kids have uh, or a lot of kids had sickle cell anemia mm -hmm. and they would have a special camp just for kids with sickle cell anemia, which is where your red blood cells look like a hard banana okay. and they get stuck in your mm. veins. They'll like poke you and it's mm. excruciatingly painful and you can't get cold. You can't go swimming. You can never go into a swimming pool because it's too cold and it, it hurts. Mm. So they would have this special sickle cell camp where these kids would come, they would crank the pool up to 90 degrees mm. and the kids could finally go swimming. And Amazing. then when they got out, they had something called the French fryer. It was this, this like hut, made so that they could put their clothes back on and not get cold because they couldn't get cold Wow! and you know and be okay they had kids with hiv come and that was a, a new thing and people yeah. were terrified of that they they you know they did their research and realized that no these these kids they'll be fine mm -hmm. then they need to come and have this this experience after that you know other people wanted to build these camps there's the hole in the woods that came next that's in the adirondacks it had its own petting zoo and like cross-country skiing amazing in Florida, there's the Boggy Creek Gang, <laughs> and all from salad dressing. All from salad dressing, and it was it was just this magical place where kids could go and feel normal with other kids to commiserate yeah. on you know just these heavy subjects that, that they're, they're having to do. Shared with. experience. You can't talk to your parents about that no, stuff sometimes. They so, don't know. yeah. It's amazing. So Boggy Creek Gang is the largest, and since it's in Florida, it's open year round. Hmm. Um, it opened in 96 and it's had tens of thousands of campers Amazing. come through already. And in 92, Paul visited Southern Ireland and visited Elizabeth Arden's old 500 acre estate that she had given to Ireland. And they started to rent that for one pound a year. Hmm. And it's this like Gothic medieval version wow. of the camp, That's which awesome. is super cool. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's tons of foreign markets for the products. And Newman had decided that, you know, he and Hotch had both decided that if it's a foreign market, then the profits need to stay in that area. Mm -hmm. So they're selling, you know, salad dressing in Africa. Africa is seeing all of that charitable wow. contribution. That's cool. He's keeping it super, super local. And they have these really big galas all the time. And I mean, you know, the Bush family has been super, super generous with mm. them. All these pharmaceutical companies have shown up. Yeah, since this all started, Newman's has donated over $530 million to charities. It's incredible. That's impressive. That's it impressive. really is. Yeah. All from, all yeah. from salad. I, I need to, I need to, I need to use, use their products. Cause it's, yeah, they're really, really not? good. They're good. And they're and natural. They're, and, yeah. And they've, and they're for a good cause. And good Lord. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. It's nuts. Yeah. It's really cool. So, yeah, sadly, Paul Newman died in, in 2008 of cancer. It's all about his passion for food and not wanting to feel like a, a schmuck with his face on the yeah. cover or something. That's yeah. an amazing story. And it's and it's it's funny, but before so before we started recording, we were talking about the Loveline radio show and Adam Carolla uh -huh. and Dr. Drew. 
um, who I have connections with. And um, back in January, when travel was still possible, I went to Adam's car collection and he has a lot of Paul Newman's race cars. Really? Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll send you pictures. You can put them up on, on, on Instagram for this, but I have, yeah. I, I have pictures of a lot of his race cars in, in Adam Carolla's personal collection. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was very cool to see. That's super cool. He's a neat guy. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's very much his own man. He sounds like a pain in the butt also, yeah. but the most successful people mm-hmm. tend to be uncompromising, uncompromising, not satisfied. Uh, neat. So yeah, everybody go out. You feel good about buying Newman products yep. and um, really psyched to talk about him this week. Nice. Yeah, that was a good one. Thank you, everybody. I want to give a shout out to Tanya who hit that donate button. That was Thank very you, sweet Tanya. of you. Tanya Ludwig, my Ooh. high school friend. Aww. She's the coolest, best music taste of anyone I know. Cool. Yeah, she was neat. We used to play soccer together. Yeah, very cool. So anyone who's looking for that button, uh, if you go to the Anchor, uh, if you listen to us on Anchor, there's a, it's funny, we sound like NPR, there's hmm. the sustaining membership option hmm. um, where you can you can donate monthly if you you so choose, or you can go to our website where there's also a little donation button uh, that's like a one-off thing. But, you know, whatever you want to do, we're happy to just put out that content for you. And also, hey, t-shirts are available. Ooh. I'm going to post the pictures on Instagram. I just sent them through the wash. So I want to see how much they shrink, but... <laughs> I need one. Yes, yes. Well, I have to send you one. Yeah. You get one. I'll pay I'll for it. You'll hug, you. You, know, you, you know a guy? That's cool. I know a guy. Andy. Andy. Uh, <laughs> it's printing all of our t-shirts. Hey, Andy. Much to his chagrin. Yes. We're only using whole garlic. So <laughs> there. Vampire <laughs> repellent. It's great. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys all so much for listening. And yeah, we'll be back next Tuesday. Cool. Emails if you have any questions. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, guys. You too. Bye.